You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. All right. Hey, how you doing today? It's Kevin, and I got an interesting podcast today that I wanted to chat about. It's going to just be another monologue. So this is based off a, a recent article I wrote called Evidence for a Meat-Based Diet. And I know a lot of people prefer to listen, so this is going to be based on that article. If you've already read it, uh, you probably already got more than what I'm going to be able to say today. Uh, if you're a reader, you might want to go check that out. Uh, anyways, so a lot, I did, I did a lot of research went into this article. And so if you want to reference some of the studies that I'm going to mention here, uh, all of those are at kevinstock.io. Uh, and you can just search for evidence for a meat-based diet and that post will pop up. All right, but let's get into this. Uh, and so I, and I segregated the evidence into evidence 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, all the way down through six, uh, the thing is that that they're all interconnected, but I like list. It helps me, you know, wrap my head around things and keep it in an organized linear linear fashion. Uh, but just know, like, all of this evidence is interlocked. Okay, and evidence, contrary to what some people think, evidence is not proof. Evidence is like uh, a signpost that's saying it's pointing. A, a direction towards a certain conclusion okay so no no study i'm going to cite is proof of anything uh it's just it's another signpost pointing in a certain direction and that direction i argue in this argument is in favor of a meat-based diet uh so let's just dive into it so evidence uh Point number one is evolution okay so throughout human evolution uh Selective pressures fueled this persistent feedback loop, uh, and this loop was uh, the connection between a change of climate, a change in, in food availability from from plant-based food availability to animal food availability, uh, and then the advantage of a large brain, uh, and the, the advantages associated with a large brain that allowed us to get more food or to cooperate and coordinate, which we'll get into to get more food and climate. So this, this is a feedback loop that goes around and around and around. It's self-reinforcing. Okay. Now, archeological and paleontology, paleontological, sorry, that is a mouthful. Paleo, I'm not even going to try and say it again. Uh, but the evidence indicate that it's the increased meat consumption that underpinned our divergence from our primate ancestors. Okay, so our primate ancestors uh, lived in the trees, the great apes. Uh, th- th- those early hominids were plant-based eaters. Uh, it is the meat consumption that diverged us from from the from our early ancestors. Well, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, animal fat has a ready-made source of long-chain fatty acids. This played a significant role in powering the human brain to expand to what is about four times the size of that of our earliest hominid ancestors. So we can see that from Homo habilis, which is one of the earliest species of human, uh, to Homo erectus, to Homo sapiens, meat gradually became the staple food of humans okay so we can also see this in the fossil record uh so before we have uh before we were using like forks and knives to eat we we can see through fossil record that humans 
old-fashioned, ever-increasing uh, sophistication of tools and weapons. And like we, we can see by early Homo sapiens, modern early Homo sapiens, which uh, you know around 200,000 years ago, uh, hunting technology included things like spears and daggers and fish hooks. And what's really interesting is that all these things can be found laying around bone remains of wildebeest giant cape buffalo uh like the largest fiercest animals of the day uh were all, all their bones are all li- lying around these weapons and wh- what this demonstrates is that by this time humans have evolved a tremendous capacity uh to cooperate and communicate uh that enabled us to be successful big game hunters so the fossil record goes on uh, via isotope studies that we can see 50,000 years ago, which uh, Homo sapiens, uh, our diet was indistinguishable from that of a carnivore diet. And there's a lot of popular beliefs that a caveman diet uh, consists of all, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff when really it was a meat-based diet. Okay. So... Uh, that's kind of an evolutionary thing. I, th- I think it's important to also talk about uh, ana- anatomical adaptations throughout evolution. So while tools and hunting technology uh, that leave clues about what we were eating over time, I think evidence that is like just overwhelming is if we just look at the human body, okay? We can see that it evolved to optimize meat eating. We have acidic stomachs uh, that are a common distinguishing trait of of carnivores that are used to kill off pathogens pathogens and rotting animals so we likely started off as scavengers because uh, we were not built as premier hunters early on in human evolution and an acidic stomach helped us kill off pathogens okay we can see over time that the human gut shrank and lost most of its ability to ferment plant foods into energy and thus humans turned into obligate meat eaters there's a great study done by uh Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on his name right now. Uh, and it's referenced in in the article I wrote, and I, I would highly recommend checking it out. Okay, so more about the human gut. I mean, our guts mirror that of carnivores. It looks just like a carnivore gut. Our cecum is a u- useless uh, vestigial appendage. Uh, we had similar well-developed gallbladders, just like wolves and lions. Uh, our intestines absorb meat the fat and the protein extremely efficiently Uh, and it's not just our internal organs that adapted to meat eating but our entire bodies did so if you look at everything from uh, our vestibular system which helps us balance uh, our nuchal ligament uh, our toe alignment our our feet that are structured as shock absorbers we got scarce body hair we got cooling Eccrine sweat glands. I'm having a hard time speaking today. Good day to do a podcast, right? Uh, but anyways, we got longer. We got long lower limbs. What I'm trying to say is our our entire outer body morphed into uh, a physique that allows for persistence, hunting, and unparalleled stamina. Okay, so basically, what I'm saying is we became we we left the trees where we were great climbers uh, and we became great runners. So herbivores, you know, they graze and they grind all day. Humans, we eat much more like carnivores. We pray, we eat, we rest and digest, and then we repeat this. So kind of sum up evidence 1.0 evolution. Uh, 
just looking at the human body, we can see that it morphed in accordance to obtain meat, to digest meat, uh, and as we'll see in evidence 2.0 and 3.0, to fuel our big brain, okay? Uh, and like this was the selective priority in which everything else fell in line. So let me take a sip here, uh, and then we'll get into uh, evidence 2.0, which is uh, a change in energy requirements, okay? If you've listened to any podcast I've done in the past, I have a tendency to speak quite rapidly because uh, there's always a lot of material that I like to get through in a, in, a, in a quick amount of time. All right, but let's dive into evidence 2.0. Uh, so our anatomy morphed us into premier hunters, okay? Premier hunters and meat eaters. Uh, and what also evolved is our energy requirements, how we use that energy and how that energy is distributed, okay? So... We got these huge brains. They are a distinguishing trait of humans, uh, basically separate us from all other species. Uh, and our big brain was our biggest weapon throughout evolution, but it was also a very costly liability, okay? Because fueling a big brain takes a whole lot of energy. And the only way we could fuel this big brain is we'd either have to have a very large gut uh, with a large abs absorptive surface area or a very ener energy dense diet or both, okay? And I've talked about Max Kleiber before, but he's a doctor that discovered this law that to, to predict how much an animal would eat based on its size. Uh, and we can use Kleiber's equations to also predict, you know, how big an organ should be and how much energy it should use. And if we just use Dr. Kleiber's laws, we can see the human brain is over seven times bigger than his equations would predict for an animal our size. And not only is it seven times bigger, but it uses 30 times more energy uh, than would be predicted for an animal our size. So to accommodate for this massive brain uh, and using Kleiber's law shows this mathematically, our human gut had to shrink and it shrank to about a third of the size as would be uh, expected for an animal our side. As I mentioned, our cecum, the appendix, it's basically non-existent. Our colon is about half the size of what would be expected. Uh, and it's really, it's not only the human gut that's small, uh, as indicated by Kleiber's law, but so are human hearts, our livers, our muscles, when we compare these things to other animals our size. Okay, so if we just look at our anatomy and we look at predictions made by Kleiber's equations, uh, there's only one way that humans could keep a brain the size that we have, and that would be by shrinking metabolically active organs like the gut uh, and eating an energy-dense diet. And since we can see that our gut has shrank, that option of having a large gut uh, with a large abs absorptive area, that's taken off the table. Uh, instead, we have a smaller gut that absorbs an energy-dense diet extremely efficiently. So, I mean, really, we can only draw one logical conclusion, and that is humans must have eaten an energy-dense diet, uh, and meat was the only practical source for the vast majority of human evolution up until the agricultural revolution, which uh, I've talked about and I'm gonna reference in throughout this podcast a little bit because I'm gonna, if you haven't listened to that or you haven't read the, the Health Dangers of a Plant-Based Diet, it's a little ebook, it's for free, you can download it on my website. Uh, but it talks more about the kind of the downside of plants, okay? So that's evidence 2.0, energy requirements, uh, point to you know, humans being meat-based eaters, okay? So evidence 3.0, we're moving on to point three here. We're gonna move along as fast as possible. Uh, big brains 
that we saw in 2.0 tie into 3.0, which is these big brains led to eating big game, okay? So let's just, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the big brain and then we'll get into the to hunting big game. Uh, because really, I think perhaps the biggest evidence for humans being meat-based eaters, I mean, it looks us right in the face every time we look in the mirror. It's what we got these massive brains, brains unlike any other animal. Uh, it was our competitive advantage to the top of the food pain chain. It is our competitive advantage still today, uh, but sometimes it's also our downfall. So in Evidence 2.0, we saw meat allowed us to escape what is the energetic constraint that limits the number of cortical neuron, nor, neurons uh, that can be afforded by a raw plant-based diet in the wild. Uh, I, uh, that's kind of a complicated way of saying we could not possibly fuel a brain as big as we have via a raw plant-based diet in the wild. We had to eat meat without question uh, because every billion neurons requires six calories per day. Uh, and we have a lot of neurons, uh, you know, up to a uh, hundred billion neurons. So, uh, refueling this brain is energy intensive. Uh, and the only way we did this, the only way we developed these human brains is basically we have these three features that no, no other animal has. And that is one, we have a primate primate brain so a primate brain without going into all the details about this this brain uh it's specialized primates have the ability to pack more neurons into smaller spaces uh, a lot of other animals uh, neurons have to get larger they can't pack more neurons into, into less space primates can second thing is meat meat allowed us to escape that energetic constraint that uh, that limits the number of cortical neurons uh for all other primates that eat a raw, raw plant-based diet uh, third thing is cerebral cortex. That is the selective advantage to obtaining meat and thus human survival. Okay, so humans we have we we surpass all animals in the number of neurons in our cerebral cortex, uh, and this is only possible by a meat-based diet. And so what came out of our very large cerebral cortex is this ability to cooperate in flexible ways in large numbers. Uh, now other animals do this. I've talked about this in the past, uh, but no animal does it like humans. Okay. We have the ability, we form collaborative social units. We have divisions of labor. And what this did was it made hunting mega herbivores, herbivores that are literally, that were considered so big that they're to be immune to carnivores, but because we could cooperate and communicate in flexible ways in large numbers, uh, we could successfully hunt these massive game this big game we were big game hunters okay and perhaps damning evidence for humans being predominant meat eaters uh we can see if we look uh at the extinction of these megafaunal herbivores okay so the fossil record it's pretty clear it shows that when humans enter a new location the rate of extinction of big mammals increases so this started uh, maybe not even started, but Homo erectus is kind of known for uh, being responsible for decimating populations of elephants w wherever it was, okay, in Africa. Uh, now, recent research that's looking at stable isotope data shows both Neanderthals, early modern humans, Homo sapiens, ate a carnivorous diet of basically mammoth deer rhinos big game okay we had a preference for eating big fat game uh and 
some of the reasons for that have to do with fat intake and and hypothesized limitations on protein consumption, uh, which I, I'm not going to dive into that because I think I, there, I think there's a lot we can still learn about how much protein is optimal and what's the upper limit. Uh, but fat was very important, uh, and so humans had a preference for eating big fat game, and hence these animals started to disappear. <laughs> which is interesting when we look at some statistics before agriculture. The average mass of a non-human mammal in North America was about 200 pounds. Today, it's 15 pounds. Uh, so, if we start to like put the pieces together here, we can see that the transition in the transition for humans onto an energy-dense diet, i.e., meat, uh, it allowed us to amass a remarkable number of neurons. Uh, and nature preferentially selected prefrontal cortex growth for coordination, cooperation, communication to fuel this feedback loop of obtaining more meat and thus survival and the, and the success of the species, uh, the human species. Okay, so kind of to recap this, evidence 3.0, complex language, social coordination, these things allowed for humans to basically feast on the biggest, baddest animals in the world. Uh, the human brain is, is and was our force uh, uh, it, it gives us the ability to hunt mammoths twice the size of an elephant. Uh, it's basically how we climb to the top of the food chain. Okay, This climbing to the top of the food chain wasn't because we were the strongest, not because we are the fastest, but it was the brain power uh, from the cerebral cortex powered by meat that gave us the ability to form these robust social structures, uh, this complex language uh, where we can communicate and work together, help each other for the greater good of all. No other animal does this like humans, uh, and no other animal has a brain like the human brain, okay? So recap, evidence 3.0, really the meat brain self-reinforcing feedback loop led Homo sapiens to the top of the food chain, uh, and it's, you know, lots of research is is points to this evidence, okay? And the, the, the thing I want to bring up here and I'm going to be talking about in a future podcast, I'm sure I'll be writing about it as well, is this brings up valid questions and concerns regarding the environmental impact and sustainability of humans eating a meat-based diet, okay? I'm going to be talking about this. I will absolutely be posting about it in my newsletter. Hopefully, you already signed up to get my newsletter, uh, which goes out every Saturday. If you are, you'll be sure to be notified uh, when that when those writings or pick podcasts are available. Okay, let's move on to evidence for uh, 4.0, and this is based. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be talking. I'm going to be talking about meat-based societies here. Okay, let me get a quick drink. All right. So before diving in, let's recap real quick. We can see humans evolved to eat, may, eat meat. It reshaped our bodies, it built our brains uh, to meet our energy requirements in the wild. We became obligate meat eaters, but we were not only obligate meat eaters, I think that's that's you know selling us a little bit short. From the fossil record and the extinction of megafaunal animals, we can see that humans really became predominant meat eaters, especially by uh, the time more modern human species such as Neanderthal and Homo sapiens uh, whether it's you know 200 300,000 years ago okay so this was the state of the human diet up into the agricultural revolution which is you know roughly 10 12,000 years ago but what I want to do is I want to kind of zoom in the lens of a little bit of our human ancestral diet uh, and look at societies that were able 
to fend off the degra- the degrading health impacts of agriculture. Okay, so there are modern day, uh, more modern day, predominant meeting societies uh, within the last several hundred years that give us strong evidence for a meat-based diet. So I want to talk about a few of these, okay? So one one of these groups are Arctic hunters, okay? This includes uh, cultures and societies like uh, those in sub-Arctic Canada, uh, northwestern Siberia, northern Russia, Scandinavia, uh, Arctic region, regions even in North America, Asia, Greenland. Uh, these places were cold okay so they were immune from the impact of agriculture uh, and these people followed a diet that was exclusively or at least very close to it mainly predominantly meat okay so the reason is like i said it's cold tundra predominates these these areas and like seasons will be from negative 60 below to maybe highs in the 50 degrees in the summer uh, but but topsoil is frozen and like the only plant life is basically going to be some lichens, mosses, maybe some sparse grasses and shrubs. Okay. So people ate often nearly exclusively animal-based diets, uh, whether they were hunting reindeer or fishing for trout and caribou, uh, they were, they were on meat-based diet. And for centuries, these people were known for their good health, longevity, and vitality. So how do we know that? Well, we have lots of reports from what I'll call explorer scientists uh, in the 17th and 18th centuries that basically indicate an absence of disease uh, and the presence of vitality and agility of people into old age uh, in these societies, okay? So I'm gonna talk about a few of these societies, a few of these uh, research scientist explorers, okay? So Carl Linus is one of the most famous ones in the 1700s, uh, and he did interesting observational studies in Sweden. So in North Sweden, Sweden, when it's where it's cold, they were living almost exclusively on meat and fish, okay? And he lived up there for six months and then he moved back down to southern Sweden and he compared what he found there with people in the south who ate a lot of peas and buckwheat, porridge, a lot of plant-based foods and including bread. Uh, and his conclusions are pretty simple. He said, in the north, they're fit and healthy. In the south, they're fat and their teeth are rotting out and they're deficient in iron. Uh, and so we see this this little Sweden experiment observation in all over the place. So the Inuit of Greenland is another good example. Uh, and you know, there's genetic arguments where people say, oh, they had a genetic adaptation where it allowed them to eat uh, a diet that is basically polar opposite of that's what of what is recommended by doctors today. Uh, but but the Inuit of Greenland, they ate meat without restraint. Re, without restraint, they ate loads of saturated fat, outrageous amounts of cholesterol, basically no fruits and vegetables, no fiber, uh, and for the most part, they were free of chronic diseases. They were free of heart disease, cancer, you know, all these modern uh, chronic inflammatory diseases. Uh, so I think it's worth mentioning here that contrary to popular belief, like if you're just eating Arctic birds and caribou, seals, walrus, polar bears, fish, uh, these these Arctic animals, guess what? You're getting all the macro and micronutrients necessary in their most natural, most bioavailable forms, okay? People think uh, they should probably be deficient in all kinds of things. They're not, okay? Uh, but uh, just like what happened in South Sweden, uh, modern diets start to creep into the Inuit diet, and what what do we see? Sure enough, uh, they start increasing, getting increasing obesity, diabetes, cancers that were largely non-existent prior to contact with uh, these modern foods. Okay, so 
it's also tempting for someone to say, well, it's just the people that were stuck in cold climate that were forced to eat these animals. If there were plant-based foods, they surely would have chose that. But that's that's not what we see. So there's people in temperate climate who had access to plant-based food before the agricultural invasion, uh, such as North American Plain Indians. They ate tons of buffalo and pemmican. Uh, the Maasai, this... Uh, uh, these these are the basically the warriors in East Africa. They ate tons of meat and milk. Uh, Brazilian gauchos they ate cattle. Uh, the people in the tropics were eating camels. I'm, I'm forgetting some, but but basically there's people in temperate climates had had access to plant based foods and basically ate just. Uh, a meat-based diet. So let's just talk about the American Plain Indians uh, because I think they are a prime yet tragic example of basically an experiment that we've done throughout the world. So American Plain Indians and Native Americans, uh, they were known for being one, one some of the tallest people in the world with just known for their amazing physiques, okay? Uh, and they hunted game, basically, deer, buffalo, sheep, goats, antelope, uh bison what they're known for you know uh and it's not they didn't only look good but they also had a remarkable record of health and success because before the colonial period uh when basically indians were decimated and pushed off onto reservations there were 25 30 million indians that were remarkably healthy and i say that because we know they could run down buffalo on foot their muscles were strong and their bones evidenced by like the absence of arthritis and deformities and dental decay, uh, they, they had great bone health as well, okay? So like I said, they're a, a prime but tragic example of what happens when a traditional meat-based diet gets westernized. So when they're pushed onto reserv- reserv- reservations, they were fed processed foods, refined carbohydrates, and basically they're forced to abandon their natural diet uh, and you know subsist on this cheap, modern, western diet and sure enough they start suffering from the modern diseases obesity diabetes and and heart disease uh the the pima of arizona this native american group they were known for their health their strength and their size and you know what they're known for now having the highest rates of diabetes in the world and like i said this is a story that has literally been repeated all over the world what happens is europeans bring in agriculture and white flour you know sugar and processed foods become daily staples in short order and a traditional meat-based diet is abandoned and the result is basically the health of these native populations gets destroyed and so like i I just think studying the intersection of traditional meat-based diets and the introduction of western foods uh it's it's interesting it's tragic and i i can't help but think it's very strong evidence for a meat-based diet because when we when we look at these traditional diets I mean, almost without exception, we see excellent health. We see low rates of chronic disease and health problems. You know, the, if anything, the, the problems have to do with sanitation uh, and infection, not with diet-related uh, problems, okay? Uh, but when modern Western food creeps in, the grains, the sugars, the processed foods, we see the problems that plague modern industrialized societies. These problems skyrocket. We get obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. They become commonplace. Uh, and so... Now, it's we call it a, a paradox now because we're told meat gives you cancer, right? We're told saturated fat clogs your arteries. We're told plant-based foods are necessary for fiber and antioxidants, and you can't be healthy without plant-based food, right? Uh, but these researchers, researchers found the exact opposite in these meat-based societies. Uh, 
they're, they were eating basically no plant-based foods, no fruits, no vegetables, no fiber. Uh, but instead, they were eating high fat, high cholesterol. You know, they're eating the fat of seals and walrus. Uh, but like the Eskimos, they didn't only survive. Like these early explorers just said like, and I have a post up on Instagram of some of these early explorers. Like they were basically free of cancer uh that that was the that was one like universal finding from numerous uh explorer scientists and they are like man these people there's no there's no evidence of cancer in this population (laughs) all right so i think you know based on today's understanding of nutrition we would assume these arctic hunters and these temperate climate meeting societies like they should have all died from cancer but but of course the opposite was true uh you know they should have all been deficient in vitamins and minerals they should have had scurvy they should have had carbohydrate deficiency which is not a thing there's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate uh but that's just basically the understanding of nutrition today which is which is the sad state of you know i think our nutritional uh understanding and mass media but what I want to touch on here is why did these people eat the temperate the temperate hunters? Why did they eat meat when plants were available? Wouldn't it just be easy to pick you know pick the food off these plants and eat those? Uh, well, I, I think the reason is obvious when you if you were to look at an area before agriculture and before industrialization, like people followed what is known as the optimal foraging theory, and basically what this means is. You're not going to bother to dig a, dig a meter deep for a yam that's going to give you 100 calories of energy but takes 300 calories of work to get to, right? It, it makes no sense. Uh, and Plus, it comes loaded with anti-nutrients and other, uh, you know, other things that I discuss in health dangers of a plant-based diet. Uh, and there is a sense of intuition around these things, around these plant-based foods, that, that there is a cost associated with eating them, a negative cost. Uh, but instead, indigenous people, they ate food that yielded the most bang for their buck. They ate meat because that's what they were they were designed to eat. That's what they've evolved to eat. And that's what's natural for them to, to digest and feel their best and operate their best. Uh, eating was much more intuitive before the agricultural revolution, uh, which really messed things up. And I'm not going to dive into that because we've talked about that. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about this meat plant paradox uh, because somewhere along the line, we got quote unquote studies and the subsequent spreading of false information that somehow became common knowledge that grains were health foods. You know, vegetable oils were the quote unquote healthy fats. And somewhere along the line, meat became <laughs> dangerous. Like the very food that built our brains and transformed our bodies, uh, that was the source of food that was causing disease and cancer, right? Like that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so anyways this brought about a paradox right how could these these meat eating societies not suffer the chronic diseases of the day shouldn't they all be sick right uh if they're not eating fruits and vegetables and so there was some interesting research uh in alaska in 1972 uh where researchers found people eating close to what would be called their normal ancestral diet where really only 50 percent of their diet was coming from animal food uh but even though they you know probably less animal food than it would have been in the past uh they still had 10 times lower heart disease rates 
than the white population in the United States. Okay, so surely this was impossible. So researchers in 1980, they, you know, they went back to Greenland to find that Eskimos eating a diet most similar to their traditional diet. You know, they had heart disease at a rate of, I think was around three and a half percent, basically minuscule. Uh, however, you know, if you look at, uh, the Eskimos in Greenland who had westernized their diet, of course, the, the incidence of heart rate skyrockets, uh, you know, similar findings were found among the Maasai. Those were, uh, the people who ate about, I'm going to say, I'm going to draw a blank, but I think it was about 60 to 70% of their calories from animal fat. You know, they were getting 600 plus milligrams of cholesterol a day and no signs of heart attacks uh, among the, the Maasai. And so kind of just to recap uh, some of these things, whether we're looking at the Sami of North Scandinavia uh, the Inuit of Greenland, the American Plain Indians, they were all healthier than we are today. Uh, and they all really do point towards evidence for a meat-based diet. Uh, and really what they represent is this, what's called the discordance theory. And that's that we're trapped in these these Stone Age bodies, uh, but we're in a fast food world. Uh, so our bodies are designed to eat meat. Our fast food world is dominated by cheap you know, processed plant-based foods like grains, sugars, and vegetable oils. And we see through this natural tragic experiment where people go from their natural diet to a westernized diet, whether it's the the Maya of, the, the Maya of Central America, uh, like up until the 1950s, until they switched to a Western diet, uh, they had no diabetes. And then, it, you know, it skyrocketed through the roof. Uh, the Siberian nomads, uh, they, they ate tons of reindeer. Uh, and had basically no heart disease until the fall of the Soviet Union. People started eating market foods, uh, and now they're all overweight and have hypertension. We just we see this experiment in place after place and place after place throughout the world, uh, and so that's kind of I probably beat home evidence 4.0 a little bit much, but I, th- I think it's strong evidence when we look at the intersection of where we were and the new foods that had entered within the last 12,000 years, but even more recently, like the Industrial Revolution, where with processing, uh, process it, processing of these plant-based foods just exacerbated everything in an exponential negative way. All right, let's move along to uh, point number five, and that's uh, looking at longevity and health. And so, I'm just going to go ahead and start this section off. I'm really going to try and buzz through this because I wanted to get this episode done in about 30 minutes and not take up all your time. Uh, but there is some longevity and health research that I think is very strong evidence for a meat-based diet. Uh, and this is probably going to ruffle, ruffle some feathers, but I'm going to tell you what the research suggests. And that is the more meat you eat, the healthier you'll be the better your thinking will be, the better your learning ability, and likely the longer you're gonna live. There is a strong correlation in the research between meat consumption and good health, high intelligence, and longevity. And there's good association with low meat diets uh, and its correlation with disease and lower IQs. Uh, I think pellagra is a great tragic example of uh, of this very fact. It's a, it's a disease that's caused by lack of meat in the diet and it results in brain atrophy, low IQ, poor social behavior. It also has other physical uh, impairments like gut, gut dysbi- dys- dysbiosis and, and a number of other physical impairments. Uh, but we, we, wit- we can witness the evidence for a meat-based diet at all ages. So here's some research. In the womb, 
when DHA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid, it's a primary structural component of the human brain, uh, and for the most part, only found in animal-based foods. It's also found in, in algae. Uh, but there was a recent randomized controlled trial where pregnant women were given DHA uh, and they had children with larger total vo- brain volumes, more gray matter, and, and uh, a larger corpus callosum and cortical volumes compared to a placebo group. Okay, There is another well-cited uh, study that compared meat eating versus iron fortified cereal as an infant's first complementary food. Uh, and what the research, what these researchers found was that the infants that were weaned on the meat, they had larger head circumferences and higher behavioral index than the, than the cereal group. And the, and the infants that were weaned on the cereal, they had not only smaller head circumferences, but lower levels of zinc and iron, which may have been, uh, had a causal relationship. Okay, going along as a kid, the brain is doing some of its most rapid growth, most important wiring uh, in these early years. And research shows that children that eat meat have better adult cognition than those that don't. Uh, And there's a study that shows that kids eating more of a plant based diet in early childhood can be predictive of cognitive difficulties in adolescence. Uh, And these if you want to read up on these studies, I have them cited up on the in the article. Okay. Uh, as an adult, we can see that a poor diet in adolescence can have dire mental health consequences. Okay, mental health is a modern day epidemic. Here's some of the facts 20% of Americans suffer from a mental disorder in a given year. Four of the 10 leading causes of disability are mental illness. About 20% of doctor appointments are related to anxiety disorders. Uh, about 20% of young people suffer from a mental health problem. Uh, the causes of mental health are multifactorial without a doubt there's biological and physiologic changes like low levels of certain neurotransmitters whether it be serotonin or dopamine or norepinephrine uh there's also genetic associations there there's environmental uh, and societal impacts and influences but what often is not talked about is diet's potential impact on mental health issues and i think it's important because let's just look at what is needed to fuel the brain okay and, and let me just say, let me say this: meat provides complete nutrition. Plants do not. Okay, and and this is critical. Uh, so the brain is sixty percent fat, and animal fat is very different than plant-based fats. I'm not going to go into that because I talked about that in uh, a prior podcast. Uh, but anyways, the fat is different. What I think is also substantial is cholesterol. The brain contains about twenty-five percent of all our bodily cholesterol. Plants, mind you, they don't provide any cholesterol. Uh, And research shows that dietary cholesterol promotes repair of demyelinated lesions in the brain. So, uh, I mean, it's not that surprising that we see research that shows that, quote unquote, high cholesterol helps prevent dementia. Uh, You know, popular media has us believe that cholesterol is bad. But the research is pretty clear that cholesterol not only helps prevent dementia, but it protects against infectious disease. It has no bearing on heart disease, and it even reduces the chance of death from all causes, uh, all causes by about thirty percent, according to research. Okay, so let's just talk about a few reasons why perhaps uh, an absence of meat in the diet is causing mental health issues and brain health issues uh, b- beyond fat and cholesterol, which are vitally important uh vitamin b12 only found basically in animal food uh a deficiency in b12 
uh, from a lack of meat in the diet, not only will make you tired and weak, it, you know, it can lead to megablastic anemia. Uh, it basically devastates the nervous system, implicit in depression, confusion, dementia. Okay, acetyl L-carnitine uh, is only an animal-based food, particularly red meat, uh, and it 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 contributes to the production of a neurotransmitter neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, uh, which is vital for mental function and of course not surprising depression is linked with low levels of acetylocarnitine uh like carnitine uh carnosine it has that root carn c-a-r-n which means flesh uh because it's mainly found in animal-based food and carnosine is a neurological peptide that has been shown to suppress stress and improve behavior improve cognition and just basic basic well-being in humans uh, and research Research suggests that there's a biochemical link between inadequate carnosine and depression-associated phenomena. Uh, what I think is also of important note is uh, aging, because carnosine is one of the most powerful anti-glycating agents known. Uh, so an absence of carnosine in the diet can accelerate aging. Uh, I want to mention taurine as well because it's only found in animal products and research shows low levels of taurine lead to decreased cognitive development in young children. Okay. So question I always get, doesn't the brain need carbs and glucose though? Well, the brain can use a variety of, of fuels like glucose and ketones, uh, but it does not require that you eat any carbohydrate. The body can make all the glucose it needs from fat and protein. Uh, there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. You do not need to eat carbohydrates. Uh, in fact, the brain evolved and it expanded in a very low glycemic environment. Okay. The brain needs stable blood sugar and stable insulin levels uh, which meat provides refined carbs drastically disrupts this natural balance, uh, which can interfere with the proper functioning of neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and thus influence negatively mood and cognition. All right. So as I mentioned, like I've been talking a lot about brain health, but there's also significant physical health that I discussed at length in the health dangers of plant-based foods podcast, as well as that, that uh, ebook, Health Dangers of Plant-Based Diet, uh, that since the advent of agriculture and the gra- gradual transition from a meat-based diet to a plant-based diet, human health has really deteriorated, uh, deteriorated. And what's sad is like we've adjusted to this new normal. Asthma and allergies, basically, we expect that with kids. IBS, indigestion, acid reflux, we consider that normal di- uh, digestion. Depression, diabetes, dementia, dental abnormalities, all these that we consider normal now. You know, if you're not fighting fatigue and brain fog daily, then you're not normal. Those things are normal. Acne, autism, autoimmune disorders, these things went from non existent to commonplace today. Osteoporosis, obesity, the list goes on and on and on. What happened is a meat based diet was replaced with what is now normal, a plant based diet. Uh, and then it became normal to call meat unhealthy and unsafe. Like, I know all this doesn't make any sense. Uh, when in fact, no one is congenitally allergic to red meat uh, and animal fat. It is basically the safest food there is. The allergies that are reported uh, are basically due to a tick bite uh, or a mite bite. And what happens is it transfers a cross-reactive sugar molecule called alpha-gal into the body. But in the absence of that, there's there's no one congenitally allergic to red meat and, and animal fat, okay? So the fact that we're calling that unsafe, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I think... Perhaps we need to redefine what normal is so that we can rediscover health. Um, So that's enough of that rant. Uh, The last thing I kind of want to talk about here, we talked about 
in the womb we talked about as a kid we talked about adult uh health and cognition but i want to talk about old age uh so like both mental health and physical health there are many contributing factors that go into living a long life one of those is undoubtedly diet right uh and the evidence suggests the more meat you eat, the younger you're going to look and the longer you're going to live. One interesting place to look is telomeres. And there was a study uh, that was looking at red meat and they found a quote-unquote unexpected relationship. That, that they So they weren't looking for this, but this is what they found. That the frequency of red meat consumption uh, correlated was basically the only thing that correlated with increased telomere length length more you know not exercise uh no other factor red meat consumption was the one that gave you longer telomeres uh but you know so that that's one thing we can look at telomeres that's an interesting place to start uh beyond that we're 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 kind of limited to a lot of epidemiology but if we look at some of the epidemiology it's interesting so we isolating for pure meat eaters today is basically an impossible task but if we look at Hong Kong, uh, it's about as close as we can get. They eat about one pound of meat per day, which I personally I don't think is very much, but that's the most in the world. And it turns out they have the longest life expectancy in the world. Uh, Japan, similarly, they just recently hit all-time highs in life expectancy. Uh, at the same time, they're hitting their all-time highs in meat eating. Uh, on the flip side, people in India, they eat about the least amount of meat in the world, and they have uh, one of the shortest life expectancies. Uh, and if this is shocking news i mean this is this is consistent with data provided by the fao that shows meat eating as meat eating increases so does life expectancy uh and like i said this is epidemiology it's it's laced with flaws limitations but just ignoring this i think it would be would be foolish you know especially when we're seeing more and more studies that show plant-based diets have no benefit in longevity uh and in fact i think we're seeing more of the reverse that red meat intake is inversely associated with cardiovascular disease and cancer two of the leading causes of death all right so one of the things uh to kind of to add to this is that you know research on vegans show shorter lifespans uh there's this big study uh, out of Oxford that compared all-cause mortality among regular meat eaters and vegans. And even though these were not pure meat eaters, like they ate junk too, they still had a 14% decrease in relative risk of death compared to vegans. Uh, all right, so that's evidence one, two, three, four, five. The evidence six. I'm gonna, I'm gonna either I'm gonna put off or I'm gonna I'm gonna reference you uh to another place okay so i've alluded to this evidence 6.0 which is your brain on plants and what this is is this is looking at the negative evidence so for most of this 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 talk today this podcast i want to talk about the positive evidence for meat uh it's hard to talk about the positive evidence for meat without talking some about the negative evidence of a plant-based diet uh but evidence 6.0 is when we really take a a deeper look at the negative evidence the evidence against a plant-based diet or what happens when you eat a lot of plant-based foods in uh place of a meat-based diet so i'm not going to dive into that now i'm going to save that for another podcast all on its own But I think a great launching point for that is the health danger of a plant-based diet. I did a podcast on that. What I think is even better is the ebook. I would just download that. Uh, It goes into the very specifics of health dangers of a plant-based diet, as well as, I think, 
a great framework for looking at eating plant-based diets. And that's the last part of that, that ebook. That's a, it's called the health dangers of plant-based foods. Uh, so let's just recap real quick and then I will let you be on your way. Uh, so in evidence one, two, and three, what we really looked at was that, was that humans evolved and are designed to eat a meat-based diet. Uh, we saw in evidence 4.0, that the advent of agricultural brought about a natural experiment uh, with tragic results. Uh, and we, we witnessed this when indigenous populations switched from their native meat-based diet to a plant-based diet. That's kind of evidence 6.0, uh, but, I wanted, but I thought it was important to touch on that here. Evidence 5.0, uh, we see how the brain and body have essential nutrition that must be supplied from animal-based foods, and if this nutrition is neglected, there are serious health ramifications. Uh, And what I'm going to be talking about more in the future is the sixth point, and that is taking a look at uh, evidence for a meat-based diet by looking at evidence against a plant-based diet. Uh, And as I said, what I think is the best way to get into that, a good primer for that, is the health dangers of a plant-based diet ebook which you can just grab on my website i want to thank you for listening today i know i talked really fast and i i I went a little bit over a half hour uh which was my goal because i don't i can't imagine someone would listen to me for more than that but if you did thank you for sticking with me and i will see you in the next episode and hope you have a great one and talk to you later bye-bye Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.